you've probably read or heard, uh, maybe you even prayed the prayer that goes something like this. Um, Dear God, so far today, uh, I've done all right. Haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish or self-indulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And after I get out of bed, I have a feeling I'm going to need your help from there on throughout the rest of this day. Amen. (laughs) Some people expect, I think even anticipate, um, difficulty, right? As soon as their feet hit the floor in the morning, and my my experience is that they, well, they usually get it, right? They get that difficulty because that's what they're looking for, and you find what you're looking for. Now, we're going to encounter some difficulties in our text this morning. But not before we see some good things. So turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 in your Bibles or in your Bible app. We'll have it up on the screen for you. Here, here we're going to see that in, in Nehemiah 2, that Nehemiah gave such a rousing speech, okay, so motivational in that way, about his vision from God to rebuild the walls of the city in such a special way that the people, they responded with energy and with enthusiasm, and they got busy. And we can see the fruit of this movement as the people of God get to work, display for us just the beauty of cooperation in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, I hope you've been reading along in Nehemiah. Some of you have probably already read Nehemiah 3, or you might read it afterwards. When you do, like it's not like the begats, with all those difficult names begat, but it has all the difficult names. It lists all the people who went to work on building the wall and what part of the wall they were working on and, and what they did and who was with them and all that kind of stuff. And so like, we're not going to read through Nehemiah 3 this morning, but I want you to note some principles from Nehemiah 3 that we learn because, um, well, it's help us to see the good things that are happening among the people of God, even in the midst of all of these different names that you and I don't know all how to pronounce. Okay? One thing that we find is we have the speech and the vision casting and all that in chapter 2. In chapter 3, the work begins immediately. Okay? And if you read the first verse there, it was the high priest who began the work. Now listen, he, he wasn't a carpenter. He wasn't a a brick mason. He wasn't a a structural engineer, an engineer of any variety. Like he was a preacher, right? He was a priest, but he believed in what God had called them to do as a people. So he and his fellow priests, well, they began the work. And, And I think it's just a good reminder that that's how God works. He works through people. As you read these verses Um, You see a variety of different people who are involved in the work. You see men and women. You see nobles and normal people. You see perfume makers and priests and goldsmiths by profession. But they all cooperated and coordinated their work in just a beautiful way as they um, gathered together. People from different families and different professions and different parts of 
the area and different parts of the city. See, God's work happens most effectively when everyone participates. When everyone participates. And, and just as the work of God then and now needs the participation of each one of us, like each one of us need the joy and the fulfillment and the satisfaction of knowing that we are being a part of God's work. So they're each assigned various sections, often near their homes or their places of responsibility. And Nehemiah knew, either intuitively or God reminded him, that, that these people would strategically be motivated to build well because what they were building would protect their families or would protect their possessions. Okay? Now, just in case you're thinking that everybody bought in. I mean, great speech, great vision casting, great leader. Everybody's on board. Um, a lot of people were on board. <laughs> but there wasn't a utopia. It wasn't like everybody said, well, Nehemiah said it, so God must have said it, so I'm in. Right, look down at verse 5, and you'll see that the nobles of Tekoa, well, they refused to participate because their governor refused to participate. <laughs> but the men of Tekoa, if you read through the chapter, now they did quite a bit of work on the wall in spite of the fact that their leaders checked out. I also find this noteworthy about this. My gut tells me when I read through Nehemiah chapter 3, that they weren't building to restore the past. Remember when we read in Nehemiah chapter 2 how the people wept because it wasn't like what it used to be. The city wasn't as big. The temple wasn't as big. Everything wasn't the same. And the people who remembered life under the temple of Solomon, like this temple is just not the same. But we're past that stage, I think, in the life of the people at this point because I think they were not building to restore the past. Like they weren't taking a trip down memory lane. They weren't hoping for what was. Instead, they were, were motivated to join uh, this movement. And too many people joined for it to be looking backwards. They were motivated to honor God in the present. Okay? In the present. This was about being the people of God. This was about becoming the people of God in their generation. And listen, we would all do well in our lives, in our church, to remember to be present with God, to be faithful to what we have and what we're called to do today. Not just what we once had or what we were once called to do and not what we wish we had or what we think we may be called to do in the future. But answering the question, God, what is it that you have for me today? In 1975, Steven Spielberg shocked America with his classic film, Jaws. Right, This huge great white shark um, attacked Amity, this fictional New England coastal village. And newspapers at the time recorded that, that the number of people going to the beach <laughs> went down because they were so affected by this movie, right? 
But over time, that was 1975, over time people started returning to the beaches again okay, until 1978. Okay, when Jaws 2 came out, do you remember? Like some of you, I just mentioned Jaws and you hear those, those bass tones start playing in your mind, right? Well, some of you weren't around for that time, we understand, but maybe your parents showed you the movie, right? But for those of us who are around, that, that plays in our mind. But in 1978, when Jaws 2 came back, just as people had gone back to the beach, remember what the, uh, the, uh, the tagline for that was? It said, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water, <laughs> okay? Well, Nehemiah 3, um, is pretty cool, right? All these people that had just been basically flatlined, spiritually, vision, everything, all come together, and they start to rebuild the wall. Have you ever met someone who says, well, I know things are going good, so something bad's about to happen, <laughs> I don't, this can't last, right? I'm waiting for the other, the other shoe to drop. This good can't continue that long. Well, I think that's, um, that's a sad way to live, right? It, it may be realistic, but it sure robs you a lot of the joy of things that are going on at the time. Well, things seem to be going very well for Nehemiah in chapter 2 when he gave this great vision-casting speech. And in chapter 3, where most all of the people join and they're rebuilding this wall, but then comes the challenge of accomplishing God's work. Right? There's the task, there's the vision, then there's the reality or the challenge. And we find that in chapter 4. Listen, we have an enemy. We have an enemy whose work is to try and to diminish the work of God in his people and the work of God by his people. Okay? And he's not a new enemy in our day and time. Okay? He, he's been working to thwart the work of God since the beginning of creation. And certainly he's behind the challenges that we see in Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning with using this divisive tool of mockery. Okay? Look at how the enemies of Israel um, renew their effort to discourage God's people. Yet another attempt to restore on their part a visible sign of honor to God. Look at verse 1. It says, When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Now, history outside of the scriptures tells us that Samballot was the governor of Samaria and a governor of the region that would have included at that time Judea, and he was appointed by the Persian king. Now, he was also more than likely a Moabite, okay? And the Moabites were always the enemies of Israel. In fact, God said originally when you go into the land and you conquer the Moabites, you need to eliminate the Moabites. But the Israelites did not. And so we read throughout Scripture where they come back and cause problems for them because they didn't honor and obey God in that way. Minimally, we would think that Sam Ballot would at least be ticked off 
Because in his mind, these Jews, these subjects underneath him, went around him to the king of Persia to get permission to build. Now, we know that that didn't come from the Jews in Jerusalem, okay? that it came from Nehemiah, who God had strategically placed as the cupbearer to the king. Nonetheless, he was one unhappy fellow. Okay? Another unhappy fellow, in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their walls of stone. Okay? Now, we're going to find Tobiah throughout this whole book, and he seems closely associated with the people of Jerusalem, but Nehemiah tells us that, tells us that he was an Ammonite. Okay? Now, the Ammonites, like the Moabites, were always enemies of Israel. Another nation that God had said, when you conquer them, destroy them, and because they didn't, they come back and cause them grief over time. These two, it said, is in chapter 2, if you remember from two weeks ago, or from last week, these people were, these two were deeply disturbed, okay? And along with Geshem, who was an Arab and a leader of Arabs, it says in chapter 2, that they mocked and ridiculed the people at the idea of beginning this project. Now, mockery, like it needs a group of people to, for it to be effective, right? For it to um, take hold. And their mockery began with laughter. But as we see things ramping up, it's actually going to form into actual threats of war. Okay? But before that, verse 4, we read from Nehemiah, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, it shouldn't surprise us, because we're on chapter 4 now, that Nehemiah, when faced with the struggles, turned to God first in prayer, instead of reacting to his enemies like you and I might be tempted to do, he responds to them by going to his Father, God, in prayer because this is what he knew. The enemies, they weren't attacking Israel. They weren't attacking these Jews. They weren't attacking the builders. They were attacking God. He said, God, you take care of these people. In fact, get rid of them completely because they are your enemies. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Okay, so I want you to get the picture here. These people that have all been listed. To the north of Jerusalem would have been Sanballat and his territory, which were um, the Samaritans. Okay, to the south would have been um, Geshem and the... Uh, and the Arabs, okay? To the east would have been the Ammonites under Tobiah. And to the west would have been the people of Ashdod. They're literally surrounding the people of God, these enemies of God, on every side. 
But just like in the Middle East today, these people are not allies. They're not friends with each other. They don't get along. They had just come together to fight in their mind with this common enemy, Jehovah God and his people. They had history with this God. He had whooped their tails many times, and they were afraid it was going to happen again, so they banded together to fight in that way. Well, they were angry. So they kept trying to generate pressure and fear and confusion through their mockery and their threats. And, and you got to love how focused Nehemiah was. I mean, the enemies carry out their taunting. And Nehemiah, well, he just carries on with the work that God called him to do. And it's only possible because Nehemiah's vision for the project flowed out of his calling from God. He knew he wasn't responsible to Sam Ballot or, or Tobiah or Geshem or any of these people, but he felt responsible to God. He was confident in, the resist, in this. And as a result, the people continued to work as well because they believed that they were doing, under Nehemiah's leadership, the work of God. And that was their motivation. Nehemiah believed God would see this project through. Um, but eventually the people started to um, grow weary. In fact, we see they began to fight discouragement there in verse 10. Now, when you run up against resistance, when you're trying to do something good, okay, when you're pursuing, you feel like you're, you're obeying God and you're following His direction, in, in your life and, and you're being obedient and the pressure starts to come against you? Do you ever wonder sometimes, like, is it, is it Satan, the enemy, trying to destroy me or what I'm trying to accomplish? Or is it God even, like, just providing some challenge or some discipline saying, I like your heart, but I don't like your direction, okay? Do you ever wonder why is it that things are so difficult when I'm trying to do what's right? I do. Like I wonder that on a regular basis and have to try to decide, is this because the enemy's at work or because I'm doing the wrong work or going the wrong direction? Well, I think that's pretty normal. And when you get to that point, sometimes it's hard to keep up the pace and keep focused on the project. And we see the effect of this ongoing pressure from these enemies in verse 10 on the people where it says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Now, it may have been the task. It was a huge task. And remember, they didn't start with a clean, empty field. They started trying to build amidst all of the rubble of these walls that had been destroyed and these gates that had been burned. So it may have been the mess. Or it may have been the persecution. Okay? My guess is that it was all three together that created fatigue and created discouragement. And that wasn't all. Like the, the threats from these enemies, they, they continued to intensify because they began to use intimidation on top of it all. Intimidation surrounded by their enemies. Remember, these were the, um, the same enemies who had ruled over them and controlled them for, and we, we're, we're literally over 
several decades here in Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and we picked up in the middle of the story. These are the same enemies who had intimidated them and their, the generation before them. These are the same enemies who, when Zerubbabel came back to build the temple, remember when it stalled out? It was because these enemies using these tricks. And remember how Ezra had to come back, and, and even after that they, they finished the temple but not the city? Why? Well, because these enemies kept doing these sorts of things. So they ramp it up, and they begin intimidating the people and also the surrounding towns. Look down at verse 11. It says, Also our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them, and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So it wasn't just the people in the city who were actually trying to do God's work, but all of God's followers and all of the surrounding region and towns, they all were feeling the pressure. But I want to draw your attention to those words that said, those who lived near and came to tell them. I mean, they were involved in the project. Did God call them to? Well, sure he did. Did they participate? Nope. But they were sure quick to come and give criticism. <laughs> quick to come and say, hey, knock it off. Don't you know what's going to happen to us? Quick to jump on a different bag wagon. They, they, they weren't working on the wall. They just had an opinion about the people who were working on the wall. Like, I know that guy. Don't you know that guy? Have you ever just wanted to, to say to this friend who becomes a critic or becomes a pessimist or a cynic, to someone who, who overanalyzes and, and refuses to factor in God's involvement into life and the kingdom work, who all they can see is what's before them, they don't have a sense of what is going on in them and about them? Don't you just want to say, look, why don't you quit criticizing? Why don't you quit fighting against God? And instead, why don't you just join us in the very work that God has called us to do? Sometimes think, people think their reasoning is an asset. Okay? And they don't understand that human logic can also become a tool of the enemy. Like, we know this project is beyond us. That's why God has to be involved with it for us to accomplish it. But just a logical person is going to miss that. The Jews in verse 12 would have put their lives to better use by helping to build the wall instead of just advocating for the enemy, which is what they're doing. Now, I'm thankful that God speaks to us, His people, through His Spirit, and through his word, and he gives us confidence that we are doing just what he wants us to do. During those times when he speaks to us, God's leading becomes a beacon of light in a world of darkness. And sometimes that darkness is mockery. And sometimes it's discouragement. And sometimes it's intimidation. But it leads us to stick to and accomplishes and accomplish the purposes that God has placed before us and allows us to bring him honor. And listen, the truth is, like there are times 
and I think this is one of them, where God uses the challenges of the enemy. He uses these tools and they backfire against the enemy because they actually remind us of the eternal value of what it is we're trying to accomplish and what it is we're working on. And we understand it's so valuable. It has so much potential that that's why the enemy is bringing his strength against us. And I think that's just what's happening in our text because Nehemiah is going to realize next that instead of just project, a project, that the project has also become a battle. Okay, now this next section of Scripture, beginning in verse 13 here, has become this classic picture of kingdom work where God's people are diligently at work completing a task yet ever watchful for the battle that the enemy is plotting. Look down at verse 13. It says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families, even with their swords, spears, and bows. They were alerted to the possibility of war, so they prepared for war. Verse 14, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of they, their plot and that God frustrated it, right? Don't you love it? I love how um, Nehemiah recognized that it wasn't because of their preparedness. Okay? It wasn't because they figured out the enemy's plot or plans. It was because God stopped the imminent attack. He was in control. And so it says they all returned to the wall, each to their own work. And yet note how the strategy changes beginning in verse 16. He says, from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers, post, officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet, he stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued to work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Now do you see the stark contrast here between those who heard about the imminent attack but were not engaged in God's calling and in God's work and those who were committed to fulfilling God's calling. You see, fear without faith leads us away from God and not toward him and his plans. And yet fear in the midst of faith draws us to God as we double down in our calling, as we trust God to defend us and work on our behalf. 
Nehemiah's famous words there in verse 14 are good counsel for us during times of kingdom fruitfulness. He says, remember the Lord and fight. Remember the Lord and work. Remember the Lord and pursue his calling. Pursue his projects. Pursue him. And I think today's text, like especially chapter 4, is a great reminder for us to remember why it is that we are pursuing with our lives what it is that we're pursuing, okay? And who we're doing it for. Why are you doing what you're doing? And who are you doing it for? If it's for God and and driven by Him, envisioned by Him, that is the just the um, significance we need to remember to keep moving forward. Remember, Nehemiah had it made back in Susa, right? A cush life he had, but God had a greater calling on his life. And Nehemiah obeyed God faithfully. Listen, the people in Jerusalem who were working on this wall, they could have settled for a downtrodden life. They could have settled like the generations before them for a life of being ruled over by the the likes of Samballot and these other pagan rulers. But God through Nehemiah gave them something greater for not only their lives, but also for the glory of God. Right? The, um, the work started and the people engaged initially because God had given them a vision through Nehemiah of a better reality. And when all the junk came, the work continued because God had given them a vision of a greater reality. So as we finish, if you got notes this morning, um, on the bottom of that second page is a box with some words. I want you to look at that. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. Okay? And I want you to fill in the blanks. There's no blank on the screen. Okay, there's just a blank for you to fill in personally. So read through that with me. It says, when God leads my blank. Okay, so you put in your answer. When God leads my blank, it gives me not only purpose, but also a willingness to stay the course during difficult times because through faith, I believe that God will protect me and God will give me victory. So where are you today? You fill in the blank for you. Okay? When God leads my life, when God leads my family, when God leads my parenting, when God leads my kids' schooling, when God leads my marriage, when God leads my job, when God leads my addiction recovery, when God leads my personal holiness. You write the answer that applies to you. you know, so if you don't have an outline, you can grab one afterwards. You can take a picture with your phone of the screen, put a note in your phone um, with those words. In just a minute, I'm going to pray, then I'm going to give you just a, a few moments of quiet for you to fill this out. It's great that God gives us his word, but such missed opportunities if we don't apply it. It's just an opportunity to say, God, I, I hear what you're saying, and I know it has a direct correlation to my life.
when God leads me, it gives me not only purpose, but willingness to stay the course even during the difficult times. And if you need to talk to someone about those difficult times, you need to talk to someone about how, how God is intersecting your life or, or maybe for you what seems like God is, is not intersecting my life. It's like he's quiet, he's silent, and I need to know why. I need to try to figure that out. I'd love to talk with you. So would any of our staff about whatever that struggle is that you're going um, that's going on in your life or even your struggle to connect with God in the first place. We'll do that afterwards. Um, out in the parking lot, love to talk to you. I'm going to pray and give you a moment to fill in that box for yourself. All right, Father, uh, your word is powerful. And yet, Lord, it is only as effective as we let it be. You only have as much power in our life as we let you have so much control Lord, we, we can only hear you when we listen. And Lord, we are most blessed by you when we obey. So speak to us now even about how you want to work in our life, even through this small um, blank that we need to fill in, which for us is, is just likely very huge. And we trust your work in us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.